0: Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life, which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless you. The reading and the hearing of His Word. Today we are in Genesis chapter 30, but before we jump into our Bible study, I want to share with you some good news about this podcast. I can track where my audience is, and today when I was checking the analytics, I discovered that the Forge podcast has been heard in Ghana and Canada. And This is in addition to the audience that I have here in the United States, the UK, South Africa, Germany, Australia, and India. I bring this up because I want to say welcome to those who are listening from around the world. and I hope that my little podcast is an encouragement to you. I realize that I am not what might be thought of as a big name among Christian teachers and preachers. But I feel compelled to do this just the same. If there is something that I share in this podcast that is an encouragement to my brothers and sisters from around the world, then amen and praise the King for that. If you happen to come across this podcast and you are a non-believer, that is you do not believe in Christianity, you do not believe in Christ, you reject the truth of the gospel that he has brought to the world, then it it is my hope that you will see first and foremost the reality of your sin and your guilty state before the God of the universe. And upon coming to that realization through the power of the Holy Spirit is my hope and prayer that you will see then your need for a Savior and that you would call out upon the only one who saves his people, the Lord Jesus Christ. As I have stated before, I am thrilled to be with you and I am grateful that you've taken the time to hear what I have to say. There's nothing like the word of god and as i'm sure you've noticed by now i love the bible so without further ado let's get into our bible study today the word of god from genesis chapter 30. now when rachel saw that she bore jacob no children rachel envied her sister and said to jacob give me children or else i die And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said, Here is my maid, Billah, go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Billah, her maid, as wife, and Jacob went into her. And Billah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid Billah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, A troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she named him. I'm sorry. So she called his name Asher. Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But he said to her, But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband, so she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter, and called her named Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children from whom I have served you, and let me go, for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, Please stay, if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, Name your wages and I will give it. So Jacob said to him, You know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me for what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything if you will do this thing for me i will again feed and keep your flocks let me pass through all your flock today removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats and these shall be my wages so my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, Oh, that it were according to your word. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them to the hand of his sons. Then he put three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond chestnut trees, pilled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods, and the rods which he had peeled he set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked, and all the brown in the flock of the of. Laban, but he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels, and donkeys." The opening verse of chapter 30 shifts our attention from Leah and the birth of her first four children to Rachel. And it pictures Rachel, who has had no children, as being jealous of her sister. And it's most likely the case that Rachel's jealousy began long before the birth of Leah's fourth son. So I would encourage us to consider the fact that while Leah was having children, Rachel realized that that she was not having any children. And I would suggest that there was a jealousy here that had been brewing for some time. When I say that Rachel realized that she was not having any children, I mean that Rachel finally came to the conclusion that something isn't right here. Rachel was barren and I'm watching my sister here. She's having all these children, but we're trying and it's not working over here. So she comes to this realization and she sees this over time, at least time enough for four sons to be born to her sister, Leah. So there's this undercurrent, this brewing of jealousy and envy. And here we have in scripture an example of hyperbole. And it's always funny to me um, when people ask me or they've asked me in the past, do you take the Bible literally? And most often my answer is just simply yes, because I know what they mean and I know what they're asking. But a better answer would be to say, I take the Bible biblically. Well, what do I mean by that? I mean that where the Bible uses um, hyperbole, I understand it um, to be what it is based upon the context when the Bible is speaking about something using prophetic language I take it for prophecy based on the context It means that when I come to something which is figurative in Scripture I know that it is figurative based upon the context You know, Jesus said that he is the door Does that mean that Jesus physically became a door with hinges and a doorknob and meant to be hung in a house as an entrance to a room? Of course not. That's not what it means. And that's just a silly notion. So what am I saying? I'm saying that when we read the Bible, we use the Bible to help us interpret the Bible. And by the way, this is the same method that you use for anything that you read. And the reason it's so key in understanding the Bible is because when we do come across things which are hard to understand, we use the simple concepts in scripture to help us understand the more complex. And I bring these things up because here Rachel says, give me children or else I die. But I also bring it up because there are critics of the scriptures. They're critics of the Bible, people with a hard heart. They are rebellious against their creator. They are rebellious against his word. And so they love to pick little things like this in scriptures. They love to pick it apart and point at it um, and uh, mock and make fun. And they'll say things like, well, you know, as we're going to read, um, and we're going to talk about later about how God remembers and they'll say, well, I thought your God never forgot anything. Ha ha ha. It says here he remembered and they fail to understand that there are idioms. There is figurative language. There is just like any language out there, just like any book you're reading. There are different, uh, modes of communication. There are different meanings and there are genres within storytelling, and the Bible is no different. And so I would say to our um, unsaved friends, those who are haters of God, those who hate the Bible and uh, want to say all sorts of evil things about Scripture, you need to come with a better argument than that. Because when you present things like that against the Scriptures, the Holy Word of God, you really are showing your own ignorance your ignorance of literature your ignorance of grammar your ignorance of linguistics and historical studies so if you're going to come against the bible and that's going to be the kind of thing you point out like i said you're just going to have to go go back home and do some homework and come up with something else so moving on Rachel states, give me children or else I die. Now, Rachel did not mean that she was really going to die in that instant. She is simply expressing her extreme distress over not having any children at this point. Notice how she commands this from Jacob as if Jacob can perform some kind of a miracle and stop whatever is blocking her from getting pregnant. And Jacob's answer here is very insightful, even if he was angry. He says, am I in the place of God who was who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? You know, Jacob is clearly not in the place of God that much he's correct about. But you may recall that Isaac prayed for his wife, Rebecca, to become pregnant. Here it seems that the wives of Jacob call out to God, but we don't really see that same prayer coming from Jacob. But where else have we seen such expressions of extreme distress? Well, I would take you back to Genesis chapter 25, when Esau came in from the field and he claimed that he was about to die and his birthright was worthless because of this. He's so weary. He's about to die. Was Esau really about to die? No, of course not. He was just really hungry and probably tired, but his exaggeration demonstrates his complete disregard for his birthright. In fact, the Bible teaches us that Esau despised his birthright. You may remember that when we went through Genesis 25. So we see Rachel, who no doubt, was very distressed, equating her disappointment with being on the brink of death. Interestingly, as we are going to read soon, Rachel does die. In fact, she dies in childbirth. So Rachel gets the idea that Jacob should have a son by her handmaid, Billa. Where have we heard this before? Does this sound familiar to you? Well, it should. (laughs) It was Sarah, remember, who had the bright idea that Abraham should have a son with her handmaid, Hagar. And how did that work out for them? Not that great, if you will remember. And remember what I stated during our last episode. There is not a single case where we read in any of these situations in the Bible which have a happy ending a man with multiple wives and multiple children that are all half siblings because they come from different mothers, it never seems to work out, does it? And so we read here that Billa has Dan and then Naphtali, which means rustler. He's the next son. And you may remember that I mentioned in the last episode that there was going to be a competition And added stress in Jacob's family. And now we see this competition coming up between these two sisters. And they drag their handmaids into it as well. And as I said in the last episode, and I'll say it again here. What a mess. What a mess. At this point, I want to point out another figure of speech once again. So there's a phrase here um, that we see and we've read it elsewhere and it says on my knees so the idea here is that Billa or Zilpa will have a child but the wife being Leah or Rachel will have the child on their knees or this child will be raised on my knees Now, again, this is a literal Hebrew figurative expression, and it refers to the practice of obtaining children through the service of another woman. Um, It would be recognizing that the child born to the other woman is legally my own. So have you ever noticed how parents and grandparents bounce children on their knees. You know, I'm a grandfather and it's almost automatic. When I pick up one of my little ones, I just want to bounce them on my knees. I want them to sit on my lap and I'll bounce them and I'll sing to them and I'll sing to them some silliness that we're riding on a horse and I'm bouncing them on my knee. And my only point in bringing that up is Um, That we still, to this day, associate the knees of the elders with the little children. And we do that even in Western culture. So here we have this phrase, and it means something a bit different in Near Eastern culture, especially at this time in human history. We read this phrase, or at least the idea of this phrase, in Job chapter 3 and job is lamenting his birth and he says why did the knees receive me so there's this idea that even though dan and naphtali are born to billah that they would be brought up by rachel so being on rachel's knees meant that she would adopt billah's offspring by jacob So Jacob is still the father, but there's this surrogate mother, if you will. So do you think this is going to bring peace and harmony in the household? Let's just think about it for a minute. And then next we see Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, given to Jacob to have children. And she has Gad, which means a troop, and Asher, which means happy. But Does any of this sound like a combination of good times for the future? Good times among family members. I would submit for your consideration that that's not going to be the case. So I have heard what follows in verse 14 called the battle of the mandrakes. And mandrakes have been called love apples, and we're going to bring this up because here in chapter, I'm sorry, here in verse 14, we have a little bit of a wager or a deal being made between Rachel and Leah. And in the ancient world, the root of the mandrake plant was considered to be an aphrodisiac, and what I mean by this, for those who don't know what that means, it means that they believed that this plant would promote a sexual activity, that it would aid in conception. And we see this even in the Song of Solomon in our Old Testament. Uh, chapter 7, verse 13, we read, The mandrakes give off a fragrance, and at our gates are pleasant fruits all manner new and old which i have laid up for you my beloved so whether these plants and fruits actually worked in this way is debatable but the point that i want to make here is this is what the ancients believed they believed it to be so so let's examine here this exchange between rachel and leah note too that Obviously, some time has passed. In the last chapter, we just had Reuben being born. And now here in this chapter, he's obviously old enough, at least old enough to go out into the fields at harvest time. And while he is out in the fields, he finds some mandrakes and he brings them to his mother, Leah. Rachel asks for some of the mandrakes. And why do you suppose she asked for these mandrakes? And let me answer my own question here by simply saying this. She was not hungry for food to eat. Okay. She's not asking for mandrakes so that she can, you know, make something out of them and consume it for food. Leah's question to her sister, Rachel, Is clearly a rhetorical question. She says, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? And the obvious answer to this rhetorical question is no, this is not a small thing. It's kind of a big deal that you've taken away my husband. And remember that even though Jacob was deceived into this whole thing, Leah is the older sister. She is the first wife. And in this culture, she would have a certain authority and she would have a certain right and she would have the claim. Look, he is my husband and he was my husband first before you came along. And the second question from Leah is also interesting. She says, would you take away my son's mandrakes also? It's as if Leah is kind of shaming Rachel a little bit here. She's saying, look. We all know what mandrakes are used for. You've already taken my husband, and now, as if that's not enough, you want an aphrodisiac fruit so you can have sexual relations with my husband, and you want to be with him and get pregnant with his child. I know what this is all about. Rachel's answer to these two rhetorical questions has an implication in it, at least to me. It implies that Jacob's preferred resting place is to sleep with Rachel. And what I mean by this is that Jacob, I'm not talking about a sexual relationship here. I'm saying that every night when the day was done and he was ready to go to sleep, that he preferred Rachel as his bunk mate, so to speak, he would go and sleep next to Rachel. And Rachel basically says, you give me the mandrakes and you can have Jacob tonight. And so I kind of get the impression that it's understood from both the first question, you know, is it not enough that you've taken my husband? In other words, he doesn't come to me at nighttime. He goes to you at nighttime. And and then of course, Rachel's, answer here, basically you give me the mandrakes and he can go spend the night with you tonight would mean, you know, that's a bargaining chip. So if Jacob wasn't already staying with Rachel, most of the time, Rachel really wouldn't, the the bargain doesn't make sense. So the deal is made and Leah gets Jacob upon his return from work on that particular day. And her idea here is clearly that Jacob is not coming over just to crash out and sleep on the floor or sleep in a on the couch, figuratively speaking, or whatever it may be. She basically states, and if I can paraphrase this, you're staying at my house tonight and I've paid for you. I've paid a price with the mandrakes for you to come over and you are going to have relations with me tonight. So the passage continues on to tell us that Leah has two more sons, Issachar, which means hire, which would imply that he comes from the hiring with the mandrakes and Zebulun, which means dwelling. And here, once again, with this last son from Leah, we hear her plea once again. And my heart really kind of goes out to Leah and she says, now my husband Will dwell with me. Which also feeds into this notion that the majority of the time, I just kind of believe that Jacob was staying with Rachel because here again, Leah's saying, No, he will come and live with me. I tell you, it breaks my heart. All the heartbreak of the rejected wife, the heartbreak of Leah. But notice how she still points to God. She points to God as the one who has given her these great gifts. She's got six sons. And then we have the mention of a daughter here. Her name is Dinah. Now she's mentioned here only because she becomes important later on as our story unfolds, as things develop in future chapters and events that are yet to come. But it is interesting to note that female babies were not considered important enough to record in the family line. But I want you to hear me on this. I want you to listen to this, especially if you're a lady and you're listening to this podcast. It's Jesus Christ who has redeemed women. He has redeemed the woman. Jesus is the one that brought equality. No one is better than the other in the view of Christ. You see, Christ is a great equalizer. And I would remind you that it was the women who were the first ones to witness the empty tomb. It was the women who first ran out and said, listen, he has risen. He has risen just as he said he was going to. That message was from women. It was God who created the woman and presented her to Adam. Eve is the mother of all living, the Bible says. And ladies, God sees your value. If you are his ladies, you should know that Christ paid the same price for you as he did for men. So getting back to Rachel here at At last, we see Rachel now has a son, very important son, especially as we continue to move toward the end of Genesis. His name is Joseph. The Bible states here then God remembered Rachel. Does this mean that God had forgotten Rachel up to this point? No, of course not. That's not what it means. It means that God came to the aid of Rachel. God helped Rachel. God did something merciful for her. God is about to act on her behalf. It could be translated, God thought of Rachel. Or even God's heart was warm for Rachel. This is an example of what I've mentioned earlier. You have to use context To help us understand figures of speech. God does not forget his people. He acts on their behalf. And the name Joseph means adding. And Rachel, the one that Jacob loved, finally gets to continue to add sons to Jacob. And what a special son Joseph is and what he is going to be in the future and i would just add to this as we talk about figures of speech and poetry and hyperbole and prophetic language and idioms all the rest all the different genres of literature i would just add god is infinite god is perfect god does not need anything god knows all things and All that he has known, he has always known. God does not learn things. God does not have a heart. So when we think of things like what I just said, God's heart was warm for Rachel. I'm not saying that God has a heart like a man or that God has temperature changes. You understand what I'm saying. He was loving toward Rachel. When I say that God thought of Rachel, or he remembered Rachel, I'm not saying that a thought occurred to him as it occurs to a human being. No, I'm saying that God, in his great love for Rachel, has acted on her behalf and opened her womb at this point, and now she has a son, Joseph, So as we get into verse 25, the story is going to take a different direction here at verse 25. Jacob wants his own place away from Laban. And Jacob expresses this desire after the birth of Joseph. Jacob wants to go to Canaan, Canaan land. That is his home. And of course, Laban has been blessed because of God's hand, which is upon Jacob, and Laban begs Jacob to stay. And we will see from a future reading that Laban trusted in false gods. He was an idol worshiper. But at this point, he recognizes at least that Jacob is trusting in the one true living God. And notice that I did not say that Jacob was perfect. I'm simply pointing out to you that in this pagan culture, Jacob is worshiping the only real God. Even though the Ten Commandments have not yet been given, there was a sense among the people of God that idols were not to be worshipped. And Laban noticed God's providence upon all that Jacob touched. Simply stated, Jacob had made Laban prosper. But there's a little bit more going on here in verse 27 in the new King James version, which is the version that I use. There's this word experience. Laban says, I've learned through experience that God is a blessing you, Jacob. But another translation actually has here in the new American standard and the English standard version. Also the word is divination. So while Laban recognized that God, uh, that Jacob's God was making all of them prosper, Laban has come to these conclusions through seeing omens or inspecting the innards of animals or rolling the bones, so to speak, or some other evil method. And Laban is saying, basically, through the use of magic, I have found out this secret hidden knowledge that God is helping you. He's basically saying, my gods have shown me this. And so another negotiation happens between these two men. Laban, the man of tricks and deception, who worships false gods and has discovered these things through divination. And then we have Jacob, someone who's been deceitful, someone who's been cunning and had some tricks up his own sleeve. But Jacob worships the one true living God. And so the outcome of their negotiation is this, that Jacob agrees to stay on and work if Laban will allow Jacob to take all the black lambs and the spotted and speckled sheep and goats. So even though they have a deal, which Laban agrees to, Laban again tries to get the better of Jacob by having these particular animals removed from his flocks. And then we have this counterattack, so to speak, coming from Jacob, and he devises a plan to cause the animals to give birth to spotted and speckled young, And as a result of this, Jacob becomes a wealthy man. So from verse 37 through verse 43, we see that Jacob has devised some kind of method of causing the animals to reproduce in a certain way. In the ancient Near East, most of the lambs were white and most of the goats are black or dark brown. And so Laban got into this agreement with Jacob because Laban saw there was a little risk to him personally or his business. But what Jacob did was actually a kind of trick that has nothing to do with the facts of animal breeding. And I've heard... Different people try to make comments about what Jacob was doing here with the uh, stripping of the bark on their branches and different things like this to cause the animals to breed a certain way. But the truth is that may may have been Jacob's impression of things, um, but it has nothing to do with animal breeding and any farmer, anyone who uh, is a cattleman, they will tell you uh, these things. So, again, just something to point out here in Scripture. What we're reading here is what Jacob did. We're not saying that these are facts of animal breeding. So if you cut branches a certain way and do this and put it in the trough and whatever, that um, it will cause your animals to come out a certain way. But Jacob believed this. It seems that there was an idea that what the animals saw during mating would determine the traits of the offspring. But these were tricks, uh, tricks for producing spotted animals that Jacob had come up with. And they're significant because they point something out about the, the character of Jacob. They reveal to us something about Jacob. He was cunning. He was up to something. And so let's take a look at the tricks that he did. There were three things that he did that we read about. I'm going to break it down for you verse by verse, and we will go through it and I will explain it because often you can get confused in the reading. So trick number one is described in verse verses 37, 38, and 39. By peeling some of the bark from the branches of certain trees, Jacob causes them to have a striped appearance. So he then places these where the flocks can see them as they come to mate, and this causes the females to give birth to striped or spotted offspring. So trick number two is described in verse forty, and it is similar to trick number one, but in this case, jo- Jacob separates out the mating females of the flock, and he causes them to be looking at only the black and striped animals. This was uh, also had the effect of causing them to give birth to. Striped and spotted kids and black lambs. So he thought. And then trick number three is described in verses 41 and 42. And it's just kind of like a refinement on trick number one. In this case, Jacob takes trick number one um, and he uses it, but he only uses it for the stronger animals in the flock when they were mating and not whenever the weaker animals were mating. And by this selective breeding, Jacob is attempting to build up his flock uh, and make it stronger than Laban's flock. And that is exactly what happens. Jacob builds up his own flock. But here's what we need to see about all of this. These men's behavior was inexcusable as R.C. Sproul says, inexcusable. They were cunning, and they were really attempting to get the better of each other. And on the surface, it seems that Jacob kind of outwits Laban, but I would just simply point out that it is God who increased Jacob. And we haven't read uh, the chapter yet, but it is in chapter 31, verse 9. And we'll get there, and it'll be confirmed for you in Jacob's own words. He's talking with Leah and Rachel concerning his father-in-law, and this is what he says. He said, so God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. He didn't say because of this tricky thing I came up with where I cut the branches a certain way and made the animal's face a certain way that it worked out because of this trick I was up to, but Jacob gives God the credit, and he says, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me, and the bottom line is that Laban served false gods, Jacob served the one true living God, and even though Jacob did not properly praise God for his providence and care, I would again simply point out that it was God who was taking care of Jacob the whole time. So we find ourselves now at the end of yet another episode. And what have we learned here? We see that trickery and schemes of men do nothing either to help or to hinder the plan of God. But we also see God's faithfulness to his own people and, Dear Christian, I would encourage you now with these words. God has not forgotten you. And just as he did abundantly more for Jacob than Jacob had asked, he is going to do the same for you. It would have been enough if he saved us from our sins. But he did more than that. He has brought us into a relationship with God. He has provided for us in so many ways. He has given us health. He has given us family. He has given us a family beyond even our blood family. He's given us a spiritual family. He has called people from all the nations. And again, I think back to the beginning of this podcast. I was talking about all the different nations that I can see at least somebody from those nations. They have tuned into this podcast. I'm humbled by it. It's exciting to me, but I'm also deeply humbled by it. But just think of it. We are brothers. We are sisters, brothers and sisters in Christ. Many of us come from situations and families, where we are the only believer, maybe you're the only believer in your family, and you know that you share a closeness and a deep love with your spiritual family. It goes beyond mere blood relations. You know that Christ has done the work. And friends, He has given us so much more. Yes, it's amazing that I'm saved. And I'm so thankful that God saved me. He certainly did not have to. But count your blessings as the hymn says, the great hymn of the faith. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. And friends, He is expanding His church. We hear reports from around the world, places where you would think there are no Christians there. The Muslims have taken over, or the communists have taken over, or this tyrant or that tyrant has taken over. But friends, God's church will be victorious. God's church is victorious right now. It has been victorious in the past, and we are marching forward into the future. We have brothers and sisters in China. We have brothers and sisters sisters in the Sudan. We have Christians serving God all over the world, in Pakistan, even in Afghanistan. And we have been made family with complete strangers. Think of it, what God has done to call us out from among the nations that we can worship the one true living God, just as Jacob did. Praise the King in Jesus' mighty name. Again, for listening to the Forge Podcast. And don't forget to leave a review with comments. Let me hear from you. Leave a voice message through the link. I hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of God's Word in daily living. Remember, dear Christian, you are forgiven. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. May you grow in Christ and the study of the Bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out, not only in you, but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged. Encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in him.